We are back with another episode of No One Asked Us. I am Logan Lee. Right off the top, before I get into introducing Karsten, I just want to address those of you that are tuning into this show uh, because of the timeliness of me dropping it alongside and how it coincides with the news coming out of Champaign today because there's been a lot of Illinois basketball and football news related related news in the past two days. That's not what we're talking about today. Uh, so I'm sorry. Um, instead, we're going to talk about movies. Craig and I will be back with more shows here soon uh, once we get a little closer to football season. Uh, but for right now, we are still at towards the very end of the summer movie season. So uh, Carson Bergstaller's back. Uh, Carson came on around the Oscar time, and we talked movies then, and we're going to do it again today. We figured this was a timely time to do it right after the Barbenheimer phenomenon, which we're going to get into. Uh, so that's what we're going to do here today. Carson, how are you? It's good I'm to see you. I'm doing well. Yeah, I, I think I think one of the last things we talked about on that show was how great July was going to be. So it <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> feels appropriate. To, to it does. Time. Yeah, It does, absolutely. Well, again, welcome back. Um, we did this, as I said, a few months ago, so it's good to kind of hop on here and talk about movies for a little bit. Um, because there's been there's been several things to talk about, and uh, mm-hmm. I've had a lot of opinions that I've been able to, you know, get out to various uh, mediums uh, or just literally anybody that would listen. Um, but I feel like this is probably the the right time and place to do it. So right before we get started, again, follow us on all our social media. His uh, both of our uh, letterbox handles are below us. If you are if you're on Letterboxd, um, check us out there. Uh, check the show out on all of our social media platforms. All right, let's get into this thing. Um, Last weekend was the, the was the date the date we have been as all movie been fans <clears throat> as movie fans yes the date that we have all been waiting for uh, for the last year um, Barbenheimer the big phenomenon uh, Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer Greta Gerwig's Barbie releasing on the same day in July um, what we were hoping would be two of the year's best movies uh, turned out to not probably only be that but also uh, be like one of the best box office days in history like fourth biggest weekend fourth ever. biggest weekend ever yeah yeah behind a couple of uh, avengers weekends right um and i think there's like a star wars weekend in there too in front of it but yeah uh it's, it's crazy i i you know i i knew this would be a big weekend um just with the movies themselves but you just cannot you cannot um predict meme culture i think that's <laughs> From a box office standpoint, and we'll get into you know what our takes on the movies themselves, but you know you just can't predict that, and I think that's been the biggest thing for the box office lately is, you know, studios are trying to figure out how many people are going to show up to these movies, how much can they spend on these movies, all these things. You just can't predict this. You absolutely, you, you absolutely, absolutely can't, and that won't stop studios from trying. I think we we will see a number of these in the coming year or so, like more counter-programming. I think the narrative ever since the pandemic has been that like one movie can survive at a time. And so like Disney would schedule a Marvel movie or a remake or whatever it may be. And like everything else ran scared of that for like a solid two to three weeks after. And so now I I think we'll probably get a return to counter-programming. But like you said, it it has to catch on organically. It can't, it, it, it can't be something that they just try to make happen. I feel like that's almost a repeat of what happened with Morbius last year. Yep. And yep. just a complete misunderstanding of meme culture. Yeah. Uh, so I'd like to say, hopefully they've learned their lesson from that. Uh, I don't, I think the dollar signs from this weekend are probably clouding that. Yeah. yeah. And I do want to talk about more about the box office stuff and we will, we'll talk about the box office stuff. We'll talk about the, the strike and the impacts it's had so far and the impacts it's going to have going forward because it will have a lot of impacts, a lot of probably impacts that are going to happen sooner than we made of it earlier anticipated, mm-hmm. but we'll get into that. Uh, yeah. And then we'll, uh, towards the end, we'll try to get a couple of rec- couple of recommendations of some of our favorite movies from the year so far. Uh, so if you're looking for something to watch uh, a little later on, we can, we can help you out there. Uh, let's get into this weekend though, the, the Barbenheimer weekend, just a little background for anybody that, you know, doesn't follow this stuff very closely or whatever. So the third weekend in July has been the Christopher Nolan weekend. Every other year, essentially every year, Christopher Nolan drops a movie. He drops it on the third weekend in July. So we'll take you back now to 2020 when a global pandemic is happening and movies 
every everything across the world is getting shut down and delayed and canceled, but movies specifically uh, are getting pushed around and pushbacks and everything else. Christopher Nolan got into it with Warner Brothers, who had been his studio, his home studio for however many of his last, however many movies, pretty much his entire career almost. Yeah, uh, Batman uh, Begins? I can't yeah, remember. I, I think so. I don't remember if Insomnia was or not, but yeah. uh, for a while, uh, that'd been his home studio. And then Warner Brothers made the decision to do the day and date release on HBO Max. Uh, which meant which meant that every one of their movies that they released was also going to be released at the same time on HBO Max, which was a decision that they made during the heart of the pandemic, which at the time, <clears throat> most people could understand that because we weren't really going to the movies. Mm. So, uh, but that decision did not sit well with Christopher Nolan. Christopher Nolan then essentially left Warner Brothers, um, was a free agent, uh, all the studios tried to get him. He eventually signed with Universal. He then claimed that date as his date again, which Universal was happy to oblige. Uh, that is your weekend. We will give you that weekend. July 21st or 20th, 2023 will be your weekend for your next project. <clears throat> Warner Brothers says, not so fast. We're also going to put a huge IP product or project out on the same day. Therefore, led us to what was then affectionately referred to as Barbenheimer. Um, so that's kind of the background for how this all shook out. Normally you wouldn't see this kind of a day. Studios anymore tend to avoid each other. Uh, now the other, uh, the other part of this whole thing was Mission Impossible, which <laughs> released the week before um, with, you know, and there was the debate over who gets the big the IMAXs and the premium format screens and all this stuff, um, whatever. Uh, but that's where we're at. So we finally get to the Oppenheimer weekend. We know both these movies are coming out at the same time. One large IP project directed by a very successful um, up and coming director starring huge movie stars against um, a... I would say Nolan himself is an IP <laughs> in him in his own right. Very few um, directors have that. Very few, yeah. His name on a trailer and yeah. right. And uh, but again, both these movies were star-studded casts. I mean, we're talking Robert Downey Jr., Matt Damon, Emily Blunt, Killian Murphy, Florence Pugh. Uh, I could go on and on in one movie, and in the other movie, you have Margot Robbie, and you have Ryan Gosling, and you have Will Ferrell, and you have. Uh, Issa Rae, and like it just again, it goes on and on and on. I, I I kept saying for months or for years, almost a year, half of Hollywood was in a movie that came out on July twentieth uh, of twenty twenty three. So, so that's where we're at. That's what happened. These both these movies drop. Um, I was able to see them both simultaneously. I did the double feature on Thursday. I know you had seen Barbie the day before. Correct? Yeah. So. Lucky. I got into the I got into the Barbie blowout party, the sneak preview in Dolby, yeah, which was fantastic. Everyone there was in their best pink, and everyone was super into the movie. Um, and then I did the uh, first screening of Oppenheimer in seventy millimeter IMAX, which uh, there's a theater about an hour north of Atlanta that has the capability to do that. There's only I think sixteen theaters in the U.S. that can do that. Uh, so there was definitely a the audience there was full of everyone that already knew before. I feel like just kind of been a, the, the, the story about 70 millimeter IMAX has exploded within the last couple of weeks since the promotion has really kicked in around it. But you had all the people there in the auditorium that, you know, fans of Nolan knew about the process, knew that the, that was one of the only theaters that was able to project it that way. And so everyone there was like right. huge nerd. It was a big nerd out. Um, in fact, the projector went out a couple times and no one was upset because everyone was just happy to be there. <laughs> <laughs> that's, I guess that's a good sign. Yeah. Uh, I was not as fortunate uh, due to my geographic location and due to my schedule. I wasn't able to go see um, the Oppenheimer in 70 millimeter. I really wanted to. I still might at some point, but, um, but either way, I, I was able to get to both of them uh, on opening night, essentially on Thursday, did the double feature. Um so I, you know, the big, the big debate was, what are you seeing first? What order are you doing them in? And for me, it was really not so much what order do I want to do them in? It's what order works for like the, the, the timing of like the, you know, the, the time and everything. So I saw Oppenheimer first 
and then I saw Barbie uh, simultaneously. So um, let's talk about these movies. Um, the two biggest movies of the year. Well, maybe not the two biggest, but two of the biggest movies of the year. Um, kind of. Let's start with Oppenheimer. I think that's kind of the bigger of the two in terms of scale. Uh, it's an, it's a Christopher Nolan project. Um, before we get into it, I mean, where, where are you at, uh, with, with Nolan as a director? I mean, I'm sure you're a fan of most of his catalog, if not all of it. Um, where, where are you at on that? So maybe not as big of a stand as I was, oh gosh, seven years ago or so. Like he had that run of Dark Knight, Inception, Rises, Interstellar, where like, it felt like he had the the big ideas and the big action and like he was redefining the summer blockbuster. And I think he's he still, he is, don't get me wrong, he's an incredible director. I still love his work. It felt to me like maybe he was getting a, li- <laughs> a little too complex for his own good. Like I felt that the, the timelines in Dunkirk were a little difficult to follow. Um, and it just kind of snowballed from there. Like Tenet, I've seen it once. I haven't gone back to it. And I think it was described, I've, I've just seen it described multiple times as we don't really see Tenet for the story or to understand the story. It's more about the vibes. Okay, fine. Um, I, this, the story is just, it's, it's almost, it's convoluted. And that was disappointing to me because in Inception, I felt did a really good job of defining the rules of that world and then bringing the audience along at the same time. Um, whereas Tenet just, kind of let the audience just follow it as they could. And so in the first hour of Oppenheimer, when he is, uh, and sorry, we should probably note spoiler alerts if you haven't seen. Yeah, that's true. We should probably address that. I I don't want to do too much spoiling, but yes, that's fine. Yeah. Uh, The first hour of the movie is uh, focuses on Oppenheimer's life before he was brought into the Manhattan project. And it jumps around quite a bit because Oppenheimer moved between a lot of schools and, and jobs in his early years. Uh, and Nolan just moves so quickly between all of those different time frames, as well as another story that he's trying to tell that takes place years after the bomb. Um, and so, you know, quickly cutting between all those stories and trying to keep track of who all these characters are, all these names that I've never heard before, it almost felt like, okay, this is a biopic of Oppenheimer. Why does this story need to be so convoluted up front when I'm trying to, you know, just kind of get a sense of who the characters are? Um, and, and I'll say, so I, I watched it those... I watched it separately and then I did the double feature on Saturday and, and just like a standard IMAX theater on Saturday. And I felt like I appreciated the first hour a lot more the second time, kind of knowing how everything connects in the third hour. Um, it, start, it started to get to the point where I'm like, okay, well, I understand he's got so much ground to cover and he actually does a pretty good job editing wise of telling you just exactly what you need to know in order for it to make sense later on. But that's difficult to follow the first time you see it. You don't know that that's what he's going for. Um, I thought the second two hours of the movie were utterly fantastic. Uh, Just the way that he tells the build up to the test, the way that he filmed the test, the decisions that he made around sound and visuals with the test. uh, And then the way that he linked the world that was created after the atomic test. So I, I think it's, it is at the very least his best movie since Interstellar maybe going back to Inception. I'm still kind of thinking about that, but I, I think it's, to me, it's a return to form. And I, I think he definitely deserves the Oscar buzz it's going to get. Yeah. No, I, I'm with you mostly there. Um, you know, I, he's a director. I took a lot of crap for this because I put out a blog post um, a few months ago where I, I listed off what I'm predicting my top 10 movies of the year were going to be. Just mm-hmm. a fun little exercise I did. And in there, I wrote... For Oppenheimer, because I was predicting that Oppenheimer would be a top 10 movie for me, I said Christopher Nolan doesn't have the cleanest track record, but he, but he also has very rarely let me down. And I had several people text me or message me saying, what in the hell are you talking about? <laughs> to my defense, okay, and I will say this, talking about this movie as well, Christopher Nolan has directed two of my all-time favorite films. They both came out within just a couple years of each other. They are both very obviously The Dark Knight and Inception. I don't think that's really a stretch for a lot of people. I think that most film culture will just accept that those are two masterpieces, and I am certainly one of those people. I have not strongly disliked any movie he's made. I was not particularly in love with Tenet, but 
that's okay. Um, I think he's a great director. I think he is um, a lot of the technical things he does incredibly well, yeah. much better than just about any living filmmaker. Um, so going into Oppenheimer, obviously I'm excited. Um, as I said, I, he hasn't missed much for me. I, I enjoy Dunkirk. I thought Dunkirk is good. Um, Interstellar has grown on me the more and more I watch it. Mm-hmm. Um, so going into Oppenheimer, my excitement was pretty high, but also knowing this is a biopic, I'm just not exactly sure what we're getting. Uh, admittedly, I thought the first hour was kind of, I, I, yes, he does jump around a lot and it is confusing. Um, and I do need to go back and watch it. I've only seen both these movies one time, full, dis- full disclosure. Uh, I was kind of bored in the first hour of this movie. Um, and a lot of it has to do with Christopher Nolan has a way of using the, the film's score to build up things that don't really need to be built up. We are building to a huge climax that happens around the two-hour mark mm-hmm. of this movie, but it takes two hours to get there, but it the way they use the score, and it's an incredible score. Uh, it's it's wonderful, but the way he uses it makes you feel like every single second is incredibly important to where we're going to be an hour and twenty minutes from now, or a hundred and twenty minutes from now. And that to me was just kind of annoying because <laughs> there's there's a scene once they're at Los Alamos where like I think someone. Matt Damon had told him to put on a, a uniform and then someone said, take the uniform off. You know, you're a scientist. You're not, we don't have, we have enough army men. And he picks up his hat and puts his hat on and the score plays like it's the Superman. Theme. I know. <laughs> I know. I know. I mean, it's a, again, it's a great score. Ludwig Gorenson, uh, incredible um, composer has done a lot of great work with Nolan, with Ryan Coogler. Um, like I was looking up his discography the other night, like, Allison and I were talking about it, just some of the stuff that he's done, like TV and movies. He's great. And the score is phenomenal in this film. It's just the way that Nolan chooses to use it at times kind of annoys me. Um, it didn't It didn't hit me as hard here as it did in Tenet. And yeah. Tenet, it was almost, it, the sound design put so the much Tenet, emphasis on the score. Yes. You could, barely, you could barely understand that. You couldn't, that was my biggest complaint with Tenet. Yeah. I could not understand half of the audio. That was the first time that I'd ever watched a English language movie and wanted the subtitles on. <laughs> I, I, that's not normally the person I am. I know a lot of people have shifted to subtitles and everything. And I get that mm-hmm. with other projects and other, you know, movies and TV shows and whatnot. But like for an English speaking, you know, not, not even like, you know, English, English, like dialect, like actual, you know, what I'm used to. And I still couldn't understand it. So that was just, that was just frustrating to me. But this movie, Oppenheimer. Um, yes, the first hour I felt to be kind of slow. I was bored. The way he jumped around, I he's great at telling the story, but he again, as you stated, he overly complicates it. <laughs> yeah. And that's that's what he does. Sometimes it works to his advantage, sometimes it doesn't. Um, then we get to the big climax in the middle. I'm not I don't think we're really spoiling anything. It's the bomb. Like it, that's what the climax is. It's yeah. about it's about the Manhattan Project. Um and that was masterclass. That was an absolute masterclass in filmmaking. Just that whole sequence. I don't even remember how long that sequence was. I mean, granted, it was the first two hours of the movie, but actually, you know, getting, getting prepared for that. Uh, I'm glad they gave Josh Peck something to do. I was really worried for the first <laughs> hour and a half that my man was not going to have any, like he was hardly even on the screen. And then I was happy he got to, he got to be the button guy. So good for, good for Peck. <laughs> Um, but then, so we get to the big climax in the middle and then I don't really know at this point, I will tell you this. I was kind of lost on time, like, like real life time. Cause I, I'm, I do not look at my phone as much as I can during movies. So like, I don't want to know what time Thank it you. is. I don't want to know the runtime, even if on occasion during another slow movie, if I look down at my phone, I intentionally do not look at the time. Because I don't want that to be, if I look at a text message or something, or just see what the notification is, sometimes I will do that. But I will. I don't want to look at the time. And for this movie, we get to this point, and I'm thinking to myself, 
surely we're not three hours into this movie. I don't know what we're going to do. Um, I thought the last hour was great. I thought it was, I thought the last two hours, again, as you talked about, were better than like the first hour or so. Whatever, however it breaks down, I mostly agree with what you said. Um, I, I mean, I thought, I thought this was great. I thought this was his best work um, in a little while. I, I think Dunkirk is up there. I don't know that I enjoy Dunkirk as much. Uh, it's not a movie that I've really revisited because mm-hmm. um, it's not necessarily a story I'm quite as interested in as something like an Inception or an Interstellar or the Batman trilogy. Um, but I think Dunkirk is a great film. Uh, I think this is right up there. I think this is up there quality wise. I think this is one of his best work. It's long at times it drags. Um, and it's certainly not perfect, but it will be in a lot of conversation come awards time. Um, and it should be nominated for several awards. In fact, we'll see what the rest of the year, what happens with the rest of the year, because, as we'll talk about later, it's not looking great, um, but it it may be the most nominated film. I'm not saying it's going to win Best Picture. That's not what that means. But I think there's a good chance this will be the most nominated film come the Oscars whenever they take place in 2024. My, yeah, I the only thing I could see challenging it would maybe be Killers of the Flower Moon, uh, depending on reception around that. Or, right. And I mean, we'll talk about Barbie in a second. I think because of things we'll talk about later on, I think Barbie might end up getting more attention. Well, it could. I, I just, where this comes into play is it's all the below the line stuff. This will get nominated sure. everywhere. This sure. will be sound and effects and, um, well, maybe not effects, everything. Costuming. Costuming. Production design. Production yeah. is everything below the line. And it's going to be, I mean, it'll have Killian Murphy and Robert Downey Jr. will be in conversations. I don't know that Emily Blunt necessarily will, but um, so that's why I think that more so maybe than even Killer to the Flower Moon. Um, but yeah, it'll, it'll certainly be, I would have to think it'll be one of the, one of the most nominated films come the Oscars. Again, I'm not suggesting it's the best movie of the year and I don't know that it will finish the year there. Um, but just in terms of nominations, I think that, I think it will get there. Yeah. Um, I thought the performances were great. Killian Murphy, um, I was, I'm glad that he got to really shine in a movie like this. Absolutely. Um, he's, he's a great actor, but he does, I don't know if you call him a character actor necessarily, um, but he just kind of plays secondary uh, tertiary roles, like in movies. That's typically what he has done. Um, I know he's big, you know, TV people, Peaky Blinders, like he's great. Um, but as far as movies go, he's always just kind of there. Uh, but he got to star in this movie and he, I thought he was wonderful. I will say for anyone who hasn't seen it, uh, Red Eye, which was one of his earlier movies, mm-hmm. it's him and uh, Rachel McAdams. Yep. And I don't want to spoil a ton of it. It's a thriller. Yep. And he's the villain in it. Um, oh man, he's so good in that. He's yeah. so creepy. Yep. I remember that one. Um, I think I've only seen it the one time, but yeah, he's great in that. He's great in a lot of things that he does. Um, I think this is Robert Downey Jr.'s maybe best work ever. And I yeah, was in the agreed. camp. I was in the camp where. I was one of the people saying he should have been nominated for Endgame, but that was more of a culmination of 10 plus years of playing this role as good yeah. as he did, that I was one of those people saying he should have been nominated for Best Actor for that. For, no. <laughs> like, this this is the movie Robert Downey Jr. needs to be nominated for, yeah. uh, if not win. I don't know what the rest of the uh, nomination slate is going to look like. Again, we're in some muddy waters right now. Um but he was he was wonderful. The two of them in particular, a lot of a lot of the performances in the movie were good, uh, but the two of them in particular were were tremendous. Um, Emily Blunt, I didn't really get much from her. She had her one stellar monologue, I guess, sort of, or her one ste- scene stealing, you know, she did part. I will draw your attention though to Anne Hathaway and Les Mis. Yeah, that's true. She had one scene. That's true. No, that happens. I mean, Michelle Williams did it in Manchester. Uh, I mean, that happens. It certainly does happen. And she was in a good chunk of this movie. Uh, She just didn't really have much to do. I think that's typical Nolan uh, writing for females. I I don't think that's, that's that's been well documented. I think that there's a lot of people that have issues with um, his inability to write for female characters. Um, But her, her one scene uh towards the back end of this movie is is terrific so that 
depending on who else is is up for supporting actress, she might be in that conversation. Um, what else can we say about Oppenheimer? Uh, I, I mean, I really enjoyed it. I, I know that I, you know, yes, at times I was bored. Yes, I do think it was a little long. I did love every decision that was made, but uh, the spectacle alone was was worth it. I want to commend Universal for it because I mean, you know, yeah. like you said earlier, no one's name will sell a movie, right? But you know, you even and I don't, I shouldn't speak when I don't know the the box office numbers entirely. He hasn't done something with a big IP attached since The Dark Knight Rises. Correct. And so, you know, Interstellar and Tenet were both successful, but they weren't like mega massive blockbusters. You know, I mean, Interstellar was up against uh, Big Hero 6, and it, it lost to that at the box office that weekend. Um, it, he's been doing a little bit more niche stuff. So for them to schedule this in the summer, to give him the money, to let him make this three-hour-long biopic with a really good but not necessarily A-list actor in the lead role and fight to book all these IMAX screens for it and all the money that I'm sure they're spending sending out projectionists to run the 70 millimeter camp. Like it's all, this is all very expensive <laughs> marketing yeah. that they're doing with this movie and it's, it's paid off. I mean, it made 80 million this weekend and you know, part of that's Barbenheimer, but right. and it's, and it's R-rated too. So it, it was, it was a risk, even if there was a little bit of, you know, backup with the Nolan name, I want more spending on movies like this. I agree. Yeah. I agree. Um, I was looking at the box office stuff. Yeah, his the Dark Knight and Dark Knight Rises both cracked a billion. <laughs> um, Inception um, was eight thirty six. Uh, Interstellar seven sixteen. That's oh, that's higher than seven hundred sixteen million. Dunkirk five hundred twenty seven million. Uh, Batman Begins three seventy three. Uh, this movie opened around 80, I think. I don't yeah. remember. Was that what it was? So, you know, if it gets to two and a half times that, you're looking at 200-ish. Um, we'll see what it does um, overall. Um, but either way, I think it's it's more than more than what anybody could ex- could have expected. And I do th- I do think the Barbenheimer thing um, had a factor in the box office numbers for this. Um, yeah. I think Barbie might have helped Oppenheimer more than Oppenheimer helped Barbie. That's sure. just my theory, but we'll get into that. Uh, my last Oppenheimer note that I do want to say is I – Christopher Nolan is great at what he does. I, I heard somebody else on a podcast. I don't want to steal what they said, but I will repeat what they said. I, too, enjoy the work of Aaron Sorkin. Um, this is very much a talky movie. Um, <laughs> so you talked about going to see this movie in 70 millimeter. I could go see this movie in 70 millimeter. I have a theater, actually about two theaters that are both about two hours away from me. Um, in hindsight, I'm kind of glad I didn't drive two hours to see this in 70 millimeter. Listen, it was beautiful. The bomb scene alone is worth the price of admission. I understand that. But the remaining, let's see, the bomb, we'll say the bomb scene is 20 minutes of this movie. The remaining two hours and 40 minutes of this movie, I don't think I needed to see that on 70 millimeter. That's just my opinion. I'm happy for people that are able to see it like yourself. But again, I'm not sure that if I drove two hours to see it, that I would have been super thrilled with my decision so i don't and i'm talking about this with a coworker too i don't as glad as i was to be able to see it 70 millimeter and i do not regret it whatsoever i definitely if you say the first hour of the movie is so complex yes. jumps around so much that the aspect ratio on the screen jumping between the you know the six-story imax screen and then a bigger imax picture but you know not overwhelming yeah having that aspect ratio change just adds to making it more difficult um and so when i saw it in just you know standard digital imax i felt it was a lot easier to follow so for anybody willing to do it twice it's not necessarily a bad idea to start it in the digital and then see it for the really cool form film format after that right um although at this point i feel like it's sold out in 70 millimeter for its entire run. Like I think here in Atlanta, you can get front row tickets the last week and that's it. Um, I I would say it, yes, there's only one scene that you really need that scale for, but even the shots in the court, in the, you know, the boardrooms and such, it makes you feel like you're there. That's fair. That's fair. And you know, and that adds, that adds to the intensity of the moment. 
So yeah, it's it's definitely not like you know Dark Knight Rises where there's a lot of really cool action scenes in the last forty minutes of the movie is you know in your face. Um, but what he did with the technology was was really neat. Right. No, I get it. I get it. Um, all right, let's move on. We're already thirty minutes into this thing. Yeah. We haven't even really talked about the other half of this this big weekend. Uh, a much less complex movie, uh, <laughs> but possibly Maybe. possibly a more fun movie. Uh, depending on how you look at it. Uh, Barbie, directed by uh, Greta Gerwig, who uh, has now three um, very successful female-driven movies under her belt. Uh, Lady Bird, or sorry, Lady Bird, not Berg, um, and Little Women, um, which my response to anybody... So before the, the phenomenon really picked up and I told people I was going to see Barbie, I was excited to see Barbie, some people would look at me and stare. People I that aren't words. familiar with the film world and like aren't into these circles, they're like, why on earth are you, as a 32-year-old man, excited to go see Barbie? Anybody that can get me to love little women <laughs> has every right to get me excited to go see Barbie. I There was no reason that I, as a 30-whatever, 29-year-old man, should have loved little women. And I absolutely loved Little Women. So uh, I was very much excited for Barbie. Um, and I can honestly say I wasn't disappointed. Uh, this movie did did what I was hoping it would do. Um, Greta's fantastic. Her and Noah Baumbach uh, penned this script. And while we can get into some of the, you know, there certainly are some issues that people have with the script. And I can we can talk about some of these things or not talk about some of these things, but um, I think the purpose of the movie was to have a good time for two hours. And I think just about everybody that goes to this movie had a damn good time for two hours at the movie theater. Would you agree? I agree. I, though I I wouldn't sell it short. I feel like it's there's a lot going on beneath the surface. No, there is, for sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, definitely it's, it's a lot. It's, it's two hours of, of joy. Yeah, uh, which is which is why it pairs somewhat well with Oppenheimer, which is why you should start with Oppenheimer, because that movie stares in the abyss for three hours. Yeah. Um, no, I, I agree. I agree with you. I felt like I didn't quite know what she was trying to say with some of the characters. Like I felt Will Ferrell at, at first, like it was, um, you know, the, the man who tries to mansplain and thinks that he's a feminist just because he's done, you know, or because he's in a position to, to give girls Barbies. It, it felt like his character wasn't quite clear what he was building to. Um, but I felt some aspects of it. I really appreciated the approach that she took, um, especially with gender expectations, you know, around there's some, you may have seen anyone on, on TikTok has probably seen the America first speech. Uh, from about halfway through the movie, which has really picked up steam and it leads to a lot of applause in a lot of theaters. Um, but also her expectations around, you know, expectations around what, what men are uh, in society and, and how we've set those expectations and we don't have to live to those expectations. Um, and I particularly like what she did with Alan too, that the look at the character who doesn't necessarily fit in with the gender expectations of his, of his, of his gender. Um, so yeah, I, I appreciated what she was saying with a lot of that. Again, I, I felt like sometimes it was maybe trying to say too much. Yeah. Um, but I, I really appreciate the, the layered approach that she took to Barbie. Yeah. I, um, I mean, I know I'm not the target audience for this movie. Um, I did not own a Barbie. I did not grow up with sisters. Um, so obviously I don't have the same connection, um, to this IP as other people do, but I'm a child that grew up in the nineties. So I'm familiar enough to know with what's going on. Um, I laughed more in this movie than I have in quite a while. Um, uh, we don't get studio comedies anymore. Um, they've attempted them on occasion. We had bros last year. We had no hard feelings this year. Um, we get, you know, um, superhero movies that are kind of like disguised as um, comedies like that type thing, but like mm -hmm. as for as for as um, as you, uh, this movie is is more complex, of course, than I really wanted to give it credit for. And you're right, there are a lot of layers to this movie. But for a movie with so many layers, this was a really funny movie. 
<laughs> I, yeah. I mean, as I said, I laughed. I laughed a ton. Um, I had so many jokes, so many um, innuendos. Uh, not a kid's movie. I, 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 Absolutely not. I mean, I'm sure there are people that are taking their daughters to see, their young daughters to see this movie. Um, they may be okay with it. They may not be okay with it. Just if you're watching this wanting to know, can I take my eight-year-old daughter to see this movie? I don't know that I would, but I'm sure there are things that your eight to 10-year-old daughter would laugh at, uh, but I don't think this is for them. Um, I think this is for... Um, you know, people that are a little bit older than that. There's a reason it is PG-13 and it, there is um, plenty of uh, jokes that will certainly go way above a child's head. Uh, yeah, and, that, and that's why I think I wouldn't be as concerned, although, you know, every parent makes a decision for their kids. Right. But I feel there's not a lot of explicit. No. If any explicit. No, sexual. there's not explicit. It's all it's just... innuendo that would go over kids' heads. Right. Yeah. No, you're right. Uh, in all, I mean, I, I thought this movie was wonderful. I, I did not care for Will Ferrell's character, and I, I understand what Greta Gerwig was doing with his character, sort of. Um, I just thought, as over the top as this movie was, and I know it was intentional, but the decision that they made to for everything that took place in the Mattel office, in the Mattel headquarters, was extremely over the top. And I just, it didn't really work for me. The whole scene, the chase scene, I thought was just overly ridiculous. Um, but again, that was kind of a small part of it. Uh, yeah. Just about everything else in this movie, I really enjoyed. Uh, the performances, Margot Robbie and Ryan Gosling, both also belong in Oscar conversations. And again, might be easier for them now. Uh, we'll have to see. But um, I do believe they both belong in those conversations. I believe Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach are going to belong in those conversations for the script and the direction. Uh, America Ferreira. I mean, yeah, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't look past her for Best Supporting Actress. Um, she was wonderful. Um, this cast, Simu Liu, um, he was great. Michael Sarah, I thought, was having a good time <laughs> um, in his role. Uh, I just, I just enjoyed, I enjoyed this movie and I'm comfortable saying that, uh, that I had more fun at Barbie than I've had at most movies I've been to this year. And <laughs> I have been to a lot of movies in the past two months. <laughs> so yeah. I, I completely agree with you on their performances. I think Ryan Gosling just knocked it out of the park. Yeah. I, just his delivery is spot on. The way that he plays the characters is great. We absolutely need a assuming it gets nominated we deserve a performance of yeah. i'm just Ken at the, the musical performances in this movie were great yes yeah yeah uh yeah i think i think that's will be an interesting oscar race because i would i i think it's it's not a foregone foregone conclusion but i mean robert downey jr will very likely end up with a nomination for yeah. Robin. so downey jr versus potentially gosling in the sporting actor category is a, it's the continuation of barbenheimer into 2024 yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I'm, I'm thrilled with how this movie turned out. Um, would love to see it uh, in Oscar conversations. And I, I think it will be, I think it will be there for a while. Um, the, the production design, the set design, um, the use of Matchbox 20, <laughs> love Matchbox 20. Uh, fine with it. If Rob Thomas is fine with it, I'm fine with it. Yeah. Um, they got his approval. It got his approval. And uh, I don't know. I just, I enjoyed this movie. It is one that I know I will revisit. Um, Marty, I'll probably go see it again in the theater. And I cannot wait until it's available to stream all the time on Max. Oh, God. And, and the best Justice League joke that I have ever heard. Yes. 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 Amazing. I forgot about it. Yes. Amazing. There were several. Just like there were several good one liners. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the very last line of the movie was was a great yeah. one-liner. Um, so, yeah, it's it's full of good stuff. Some surprises along the way. We don't need to spoil everything. Both these movies kind of had – they had large casts, and then they had some surprise performances that just kind of showed yeah. up in the middle of things. So, um, all in all, I mean, I don't think we could have asked for a better pairing of movies to come out. I think it could have, it was certainly possible that one of these movies, at least one of these movies would have performed, would have not been great. I think that was certainly on the table. Uh, I don't know if there'll be two of the best 10 movies of the year 
uh, when it's all said and done, but I, I do think both of them will be long in the conversation. Yeah. Um, even a Barbie movie, I think, is is certainly um, up for those discussions. So, um, yeah. Anything else about those movies that we need to talk on before we before we head over to box office stuff? Because I mean, as we we can talk about, I mean, we can just kind of jump into it. Barbie blew everything out of the water. I mean, this is. I have been saying for a while to anybody that would listen that we were only going to get $1 billion movie this year because to this point, Mario is the only one that's done it. And every other movie that has come up has come up dramatically short. Uh, I didn't think we would get another one that would do it. I thought that the, this period of time with mission impossible, Barbie and Oppenheimer that they would all kind of cancel each other out. I don't know. (laughs) I think Barbie could have billion dollars on it. Uh, We'll have to see. Um, it kind of surprises me. I've been, I literally have been saying this to anybody that would listen. This will be the first year in however many years that we've only had one movie crack a billion dollars, pandemic excluded. Um, but we might, we might end up having a second one on our hands because Barbie just it exceeded all expectations. And they kept revising the number all weekend yeah. too. I think now it's up to like 162 million. Yep. And it was just over 20 million yesterday on a Monday, like. You check screenings around my area, and it's it's still show after yeah. show is sold out. Yeah, I, it has been so long since I have seen it. Difficult to get tickets to a movie on opening week. Even a lot of the Marvel movies, I it's know. easier to get good tickets on opening weekend than it has been for Barbie and Oppenheimer this weekend. Barbie opened up at as of right now, it is the ninth highest grossing film worldwide of the year. Um, it's at three hundred eighty-two million dollars right now. It, after just a couple days. After yeah. just three days, it's opened up. It's already ahead of Mission Impossible, which only came out a week beforehand. It's already ahead of Elemental, which has done better in the past few weeks. Uh, it's already yeah. passed uh, The Flash, uh, Indiana Jones, um, all these movies that have been out for six, seven weeks. Um, it's it's already surpassed them. So, you know, if it doubles what it's already done so far, you're looking at, um, you know, in the – 700 million range and at that point you're already third <laughs> um at the if it gets all it has to do is cross 705 and it'll pass fast x so the general rule of thumb if a movie is, is performing you know average with audiences is 3x um, yeah two and a half to three yeah yeah so i mean if you're talking assuming you know good, good word of mouth can expand that so yeah. you think you've got a release schedule over the next couple of weeks that it's got some stuff, but nothing that's yeah. going to pull away that Barbie audience. Haunted Mansion might take a chunk, but I don't think it's going to be a yeah. huge no, success. I, I think it's, I think it's going to, I think it'll do it. I, I just, I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll eat my words. Um, I think it will be the second movie that'll cross a billion dollars this year. Um, but yeah, the box office in general this summer, up to this point, has been a little shaky, and I think that was something we kind of wanted to touch on here um, a little bit. You know, I kind of thought that we would get a little bit more from some of these. Uh, Little Mermaid drastically underperformed, if you ask me. Uh, right now, worldwide, it's at 560 million. Uh, the Flash incredibly, incredibly underperformed. Yeah, an absolute um, tank. Indiana Jones only 336 million. Uh, Mission Impossible has only been out for a couple weeks, but it's only it's at 373. Um, it's just it's not exactly been the summer I don't think studios were looking for. I think that. Thankfully, I think um, Warner Brothers will have a be able to save some face because of the Flash debacle now with with the numbers that Barbie's going to pull in. But uh, it hasn't been great, if you ask me. Um, well, frankly, it's it's a bunch of franchises that people are just done. With. I know, like I, you know, and a lot of them get made because they still make money overseas. You know, Mission Impossible, right? Make a lot of money overseas. Indiana Jones won't do that. It's no. not a, a big global draw and. It's coming, what, 15, 15 years after the last one, which was starring, you know, mediocre reviews. Starring an 80-year-old. Yeah. No yeah. millennial even knows who Harrison Ford is. I mean, it's – I I mean, yes, millennial. We're millennials. <laughs> anybody younger like than Harrison us – Ford. Anybody I, younger I, I than us doesn't I know do. who Harrison Ford is. He hasn't done any – I mean, yes, he's been in a Star Wars movie, but, like, he – I don't know. I, that one was was kind of mind-boggling to me from the very beginning. They handled that whole the, that whole production 
has raised a lot of questions for me. Uh, I don't know why they sent it to Can. I don't know why they spent yeah, as much money a, on it. They spent as much money on it as they did because of the pandemic, I think, and, yeah. because of reshoots and COVID protocols. And so that's where a lot of that money came from. Um, or went, I guess. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that was, that was a, that was a bomb. Um, as, as I said, at this point, the only billion dollar movie we've had this year is the, is the Mario movie, which I think overperformed probably than what people were expecting. Um, I knew that would do well, but 1.3 is, 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 that's a lot of money. Um, Guardians is going to tap out around 840, uh, which is good, but it's, again, it's, you know, it's not a billion dollar movie. So, uh, it's just been interesting. I just think there's there's been too much. I think there has been too much. You know, it's hard to be a blockbuster like when there's no more blocks to bust. I, I think that's kind of the, you know, I know that's not exactly what the where the phrase came from, but that's you know kind of get the point where every week there was a big must see event movie that everybody had to go to and nobody wanted to go because yeah. there were just so many of them. I spent so much time at the theater in June and July. Not that I don't usually spend a lot of time at the theater in June and July. I enjoy going to the theater in June and July, but I was at the theater every weekend in June and July. And while the movies for the most part were, were fine, um, I just think it's too much. I think that we have, we're trying, a, a lot of it is still post pandemic. We're still trying to make up ground. Studios are trying new things, figuring out what works, what doesn't. Um, but it, I think it's just box office wise, it, this summer has been un, a, kind of a letdown. I think, and I think most studios would would agree with that. I would, yeah. I mean, you look at the franchises that they've offered us. Like Guardians was big, yeah. But it, it's always been a well reviewed part of the Marvel universe, right? And you look at you've got James Gunn's name on it. Mm-hmm. It's kind of become an auteur within the you know superhero genre. Mm-hmm. So you've got that big draw there. Um, and you've got Spider-Man, which is taking a different approach to the material, has more of a diverse cast, uh, takes some risks. It was a massive success. You compare that to like Fast 10, which a step back, I did like Jason Momoa as the villain. And I felt like it was one of the best villain performances we've got in that franchise in a while. Like, but it's the 10th movie. And now they're talking about, well, you know, 11 was going to be the last, but we we're going to be more than that. Like, come on. Come on. The audience is let it go. You. Let it go. Diminishing returns now. Transformers, like <laughs> Transformers movie that ended with a teaser for a GI Joe movie. Like, <laughs> come, come on. <laughs> yeah, heavy. It's heavy IP, man. That's 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 the only thing that works. That's the only thing. I mean, we've seen it again. Mario, Barbie, Guardians of the Galaxy, Spider Man, Little Mermaid. I mean, those are but the best what, top. Grossing movies, it's it's all franchises and it's all IP. It's all existing IP. Nobody can get an original project anywhere. It is existing IP, but it's you look at like Barbie and Mario. It's people doing things with the IP that haven't been done before. Right? No, that's true. I agree. Yeah. You know, I mean, Barbie. Yeah, Barbie's an IP, and I'm sure it sold a shit ton of Barbie dolls this weekend. Which you know, that's what Mattel wants. Um, But it it allowed a, a. a well-known Oscar-caliber director to do what she wanted with the material and do something unexpected with it. You know, Mario, it's been what, 30 years because they were so scared of what happened after the last one. Um, so, you know, it was unmined IP. And I hope that the lesson is take a look at unmined IP. Or don't let the IP be the entire thing. Although I know now that that was a success, we're going to get, you know, a dozen Nintendo movies in the next 10 years. Do you so? Uh, I'm going to ask you a question that's kind of an at an intersection of our other interests that we have. Do you think Universal is kicking themselves for not doing the Barbie movie themselves, so that they could find a way to put it in their parks? <laughs> uh, well, I don't. Was it? Was that something? Did they have the? I don't know. I know it's that. bounced around. I know Sony had it at one point because I think like Amy Schumer was supposed right. to be Barbie. I didn't know if they had the Amy Schumer version. I don't know if Universal ever had it or not. I was just thinking about it, but um, well, you know, I they're, if they're licking their wounds, they have Mario look back on. I mean, no, yeah, no, they're they're doing fine with they're doing. They're fine building with a whole theme park yes, and it's got a whole area dedicated to. Mario. I think they will be just fine. I was yeah. just thinking about it because I know Barbie has had a history with theme parks, mostly the Disney parks, I believe. But 
Um, I was, you know, just thinking from a, you know, other uh, line of profit type of thing. But uh, yeah, it's just been, it's been an interesting summer and I don't think it's gone exactly how people anticipated. Um, as I said, I think several of these movies, n- not only did they underperform, but they underperformed based on how much money was spent on them. I think that's yeah. the biggest thing. And again, a lot of this is COVID related. It's, it's protocols, it's reshoots, it's, it's quarantine. Like there's, there's money, additional money spent because of that. But like, there's no reason elemental needed to cost as much as it did. Um, the fact yeah. that they paid, you know, Indiana Jones cost as much as it did is, is a nightmare for Disney. Uh, I don't remember how much little mermaid costs, but I'm assuming that they probably will be lucky to break even on that. Um, Ant-Man and the Wasp cost a ton of money to make. It did okay, but I don't know. It's just, I think that's where a lot of this is too. It's not only is the numbers, are the numbers slightly disappointing, but they're really disappointing when you compare them to how much money they've spent on the movies. So, Yeah, and you look at Ant-Man and then also Transformers and The Flash and all of this money that's spent on these movies and the battles look like awful. Yeah. Like the final battle in Transformers is just a gobbledygook of yep. CGI. No, I agree. You compare it to like earlier Transformers movies that were like in physical locations versus yeah. this giant open field. Like, if you're going to spend that much money, you got to give us actual spectacle. Yeah. Like, no, real I, spectacle. I agree. And that's the biggest reason why I didn't really care for Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. I thought it looked mm-hmm. awful. I thought that movie was one of Marvel's worst. And I was really disappointed with that. And but they they redeem themselves with Guardians three so uh, all all is well that ends well um, okay the last thing well a couple things but uh, so we're still we're in the middle of the strike thing um, the writers have been on strike now for several weeks that started back um, towards the end of the spring or early summer the writers strike and now the actors are on strike so they're both on strike together we don't need to talk about all the logistics of the strike but I think what we kind of want to talk about is what this will do moving forward. Um, obviously, this was always going to have an impact on future releases because everything is on hold right now. So anything that's being shot now is on a delay. Anything that has yet to be shot is on a delay. So, you know, if this strike only went for a few weeks or whatever, then we would still have the current, you know, the upcoming movies, but everything else might get pushed back a little bit. So, you know, 2024 might be a little slow for a few months or whatever. But now the situation is a lot more dire for the upcoming releases because the other thing that this strike means not only can the actors and the writers not be filming their films or writing their films writing their scripts they cannot be promoting their films that is the issue at hand right now and what that means is that if you have if a studio has a big movie coming up in november and they can't have their cast out to promote said movie is it still worth it for the studio to put out the movie that's what they're weighing right now uh we have already seen one i would call it fairly major release that's been pushed back to 2024 uh challengers the luca guadagnino tennis film with zendaya um josh o'connor and mike feist has was supposed to come out in september Right. Yeah. And now it's pushed, pushed back April. to April or May, I think, at this point of 2024. So that's that is a fairly big push already. There are now reports that there could be more. I've seen Dune is a is a possibility uh, that could get pushed back to 2024 as well. Uh, that would be huge for Warner for Warner Brothers if they can't have Dune come out this year. Uh, I think. Fortunate enough, they have Barbie, which could be in award conversations and is going to make them a lot of money. But Dune was going to be Dune Part Two was going to be a, a big, you know, awards contender for them, a big money maker for them. And now they're going to see, they're going to weigh the options and see if it's worth it for them to to release it um, as scheduled in quarter four of this year, or if they need to push it back. Well, I have a strategy that I'm willing to sell Warner Brothers. If what's if that? Interested. And assuming that the strike, you know, goes into the fall, but doesn't necessarily carry on in, into the winter, um, which, you know, that's a big question mark. There's no Right. You know, yeah, we don't no, know. Yeah. There's no, you know, there's all kinds of, yeah. Um, but if it were to be resolved in time, that you would be able to keep some of the Thanksgiving releases for Christmas. Delay Aquaman, because yeah, that on HBO Max, because no one cares about that movie. Um, keep Wonka where it's at. Move Dune to the same day. And all of a sudden, it's a Timothy Chalamet double feature. It's it's Dunk Dunka 
Don- Donka? Don- Donka? I love it. Yeah. I love it. Oh my it. God, you will own the box office for Christmas. Who wouldn't that's, do that? That's perfect. Yeah. That's perfect. No, that's that's brilliant. I think they should do that. Assuming that the writer's strike does end in time to actually promote that movie. So I don't know. We'll see. Uh, there, We could get more news here soon about some of these studios pushing off movies because there are some big ones coming out. Can you can you put out Killers of the Flower Moon if, if Leonardo DiCaprio is not out there promoting it? And the other thing, too, is not only can the actors not promote it, but there's nothing really to promote it on because the talk shows are it's really – it's yeah. the late night shows really where they do most of their promoting, and those aren't a thing now because of the writer's strike. So uh, it's kind of a, a, a bad situation for everybody. So, yeah, that's the question that the studios are dealing with right now is, you know, is it worth it for us to – put these movies out there without being able to actively properly promote it and risk not making enough money or not making as much money as we could um, or not. Uh, I was surprised to see that um, the, was it Venice? One of the film festivals came out. I saw the list today uh, and there's so that's a loaded, it's a loaded um, list of movies that are going to debut uh, so I was kind of surprised that they're still planning on showing these, because um, if those movies are going to debut there, then that has to mean probably that they're going to be coming out this year. But I, I don't know. know. I mean, it we'll could see. be one of those deals like with Wonder Woman during the pandemic where they redated it like five times before it actually came out. Or, right. Or, no, that's you know, true. Top Gun. Whereas like there's a lot of hope that it will come out then. Will it? Eh. Yeah, I mean, so yeah, they they um, I was looking for so so the list um, for Venice, which is coming up here soon. Bradley Cooper's Maestro is debuting there. Uh, Priscilla, the Priscilla Presley uh, docu or biopic from Sofia Coppola is coming out then. Um, the Killer, David Fincher's movie is debuting. Uh, that's a big one. Uh, Poor Things, Yorgos Lanthimos, which has been pushed back to December. Not that anybody listening to this will know what I'm talking about or care. Uh, Ferrari <laughs> from Michael Mann. A lot of movies that are, you know, going to be real contenders are going to debut there. So we'll see what happens. Um, but as we kind of alluded to, that could be better for Oppenheimer and and uh, Barbie when it comes to awards conversations because there could be less competition for them. Not exactly what we want. I don't think anybody wants it to be that type of a win, but um, I mean, at this point, they're, they're serious frontrunners from everything that we've seen so far. So, and I think, you know, eventually it sucks that those will likely get delayed because they, you know, require the star power to sell them. Right. They're not necessarily box office gold. Right. And so that's not as big of a hit for the theaters as something like moving a Dune. Which right. would likely be a, a contender as well, but like I don't foresee Disney moving the Marvels. No, I don't think. I, I mean, I think having Brie Larson promote that movie helps, but I don't think it's necessary. I think that there's enough backing it from a Marvels a, steamer, Marvel's right? a staple. I think people will go. Maybe you may not make as much money, but you know. And that was another one we kind of I kind of skipped over it, but you know, Marvel Captain Marvel didn't make a billion dollars. The original movie. It came out right between Infinity War and Endgame, uh, but it made a billion dollars. Aquaman, the original, made a billion dollars. Yeah, I don't think either of those sequels are going to make a billion dollars. No. But if the Marvels comes out in November and there's literally nothing else around it, if it's good, it could. <laughs> I'm not saying that's happening. I don't know that it's going to be good, but it could. Uh, but again, we'll just we'll just have to see. So it's going to be an interesting next few months where as we sit here on July 25th, we don't really know what's ahead. Yeah. Um, things could change. I will be at uh, Haunted Mansion next week. Um, and that's going to pretty much close down my summer. Um, I mean, I guess what, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles will come out in August. Are you excited for Meg um, 2, The Trench? <laughs> Meg 2, The Trench. I'm excited for Theater Camp, which I'm not sure if yes. it's actually going to get a wide release or not. Um We'll see. It'll be. Uh, I'm sure it'll be on Hulu soon, anyway. Regardless yeah. if I see it in a theater, but um, I'm still behind. I know you've seen a ton of movies so far. You're you're usually well ahead of me, although you're not very good about the streaming ones. I know, which yeah. I typically am better at. I, this year, I am not. Um, I've only seen about 25 movies from 2023, which is well off my my normal pace. But again, I saw a ton in June and July. So, uh, real quick before we get out of here, I said I wanted to get how to hear it. One hour exactly, and I'm at exactly one hour right now, so we're going to go a little bit longer than that. 
just a couple of movies that you've seen this year that we haven't talked about already uh, that you maybe want to throw out there for people as recommendations. What are they? Uh, where can they watch them? Sure. So, you know, a few minutes ago, I complained about spectacle that like these movies that are putting all this money in are not giving us the spectacle that we need. John Wick chapter four. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. movie is, it's essentially three fight scenes. It's yep. nearly three hours long, but it's essentially just three fight scenes and they are just spectacular. They never end. And you'd think that they would get boring after like 20 minutes, but they don't because they just keep evolving and getting crazier and crazier. And the, the fight towards the end on the steps is just <laughs> the choreography. I, I yeah. wish there was a stunt work. Oscar. There needs to be. <laughs> because that movie would have no competition. There absolutely like needs to be. Insane. Uh, I mean, obviously, it's a, you know, it's a fourth chapter, it's an IP, um, so you kind of need to see the earlier ones, but like, I don't know, it's, it's no doubt the best action movie I've seen this year. Um, consistently entertaining and just astounding, yeah. astounding action sequences. Yeah, I agree. Um, I would say uh, I enjoyed Dungeons and Dragons more than I thought I would. I have not seen that yet. It's been I didn't catch it in theaters, and it's been it's been on Paramount Plus, and I'm planning to get to it at some point. But I have not managed to watch Dungeons and Dragons yet. But I've heard it's fantastic. It takes an almost like Guardians of the Galaxy approach to the material. Great, and all of the actors play perfectly off each other. It plays plays you know pokes enough fun at the IP, but I wouldn't. I guess I can't speak for someone who plays Dungeons and Dragons. I don't think I would feel insulted if I were a big Dungeons and Dragons fan. It doesn't like make fun of the nerds that play Dungeons and Dragons. Um, and that, that <laughs> But people who love Dungeons and Dragons, I, I don't, I don't think they would be offended by it. Um, they wouldn't be. Yeah. Uh, Chris Pine. Gosh, Chris Pine, that man just can continually, you know, Chris Evans is great too, but Chris Pine just, put himself out there in different roles and you know, getting his time in thrillers and in comedies and in action. Uh, and I really appreciated what he did there. Um, so yeah, I, I thought that was one of the better IPs that I've seen this year. Yeah. And then um, there was kind of this whole genre earlier this year of like business ups and downs, rise and falls movies. Yeah. Um, Air was probably the most well-promoted one. And Air was good. Right. I really enjoyed Air. Um, Tetris was not as good. I felt that Tetris was a little too complex. Like all the, the back and forth in the early scenes and the interrogation rooms was maybe needlessly complex. Um, my personal favorite of that whole group was Blackberry, which got like no release whatsoever. I, saw- I, I have yet to find anywhere that I can watch Blackberry. So I, I'm anxious to see it because I've heard from the seven people that have seen the movie have said it's wonderful. Uh, but I'm I'm still looking to find a way to watch it. I think I can probably pay like twenty dollars and watch it on Amazon. I would imagine it's probably holding on. It's probably streaming for cheaper than that. It's I'm sure it's somewhere. I, but I saw. It. I will get to it. I've heard it's I've heard it's wonderful. Yeah, and I think it probably worked with me more because I remember you know, the evolution of the technology at the time and the introduction of the iPhone um, versus you know yeah. Air and Tetris things that I wasn't necessarily around for. Uh, so I, I and I appreciated Jape. Uh, Barry, Barry Shell, am I saying it right? Jay Barry yeah, Shell? yeah, Barry Shell. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of vanished for a while, so it was nice to see him back too. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I haven't seen a few of those movies you mentioned. I've seen John Wick, love John Wick. I, I never been a huge John Wick fan. Like the first two movies are really good, but I just never really got into them. John Wick Chapter Three is just marvelous. I agree. I, I didn't think it was, I didn't think it would be the best action movie of the year, especially when we have a Tom Cruise Mission Impossible yeah. movie out, but it is a better action movie than Tom Cruise's Mission Agreed. Impossible. Um, so it is, yeah, to this to this point, still the best action movie of the year. Probably will finish there. Um, I loved Air. Um, it's certainly one of my favorites of the year. I, you know, I, I get that there's some issues with it being a little too, you know, commercial uh, because it is pretty much just selling shoes. Um, but I I really enjoyed Air, loved the performances. Um, but yeah, and we've already talked about several of these other ones. Spider-Man and Guardians, two of my favorites mm-hmm. of the year. Uh, the one that I would say is Past Lives. Um, which I, I know need you to get said to you it. haven't seen it yet, yeah. which, you know, it's kind of it kind of got a very small, quiet release. And it's a very small, quiet movie. Uh, but Past Lives is a film from uh, director Celine, Str- Celine Song. Celine Song. Um, it's 
it's about a, a couple of adults that um, were friends as kids and then they uh, separate and then it's kind of about their relationship as they reconnect and lose connection and reconnect and lose connection and all these things. Uh, it's like a, I would call it more of a traumatic sort of rom romance type of movie sort of uh it's just wonderful it's a fantastic movie uh i do believe it will be in best picture conversations come the end of the year uh regardless of whatever comes out the rest of the year um it's wonderful greta lee uh stars in that movie it's it's great i would suggest anybody go see that if you're looking for a quiet time in the theater um it's certainly one of the best of the year so um, but I will go with that one. I was going to say we could, you know, rattle off a couple of movies we're excited to see, but I don't know what's coming happen? out the rest of this year. Who knows if anything's going to come out this year? So I have a ticket for Haunted Mansion. So I'm going to say I'm most excited for Haunted Mansion because <laughs> it's the only movie I know for sure, well, I hope, that I will see for the rest of 2023 because I honestly have no idea. I would love to say Killers of the Flower Moon or The Killer or um, Dune, but I, I just don't know. I don't know what's coming out. So um, I think you're probably in the same boat as me there. So, um, all right. I think we've done it. We've just a little bit over an hour. So right in the, the time range I was hoping for. Karsten, thank you. Absolutely. Uh, it's been a pleasure. I'm glad we got to do this and talk movies. Um, we'll plan on doing this again, probably in a few months around Oscars time, like we did last year uh, or this year. Um, but yeah, this has been great. Anything else for the people? Anything you want to plug? I don't know what you want to plug, um, but uh, follow you on Letterboxd? Yeah, I think that's probably about all I've got. All right. Well, uh, just another reminder, uh, no one asked us with Craig and myself. We'll be back soon. Uh, we'll have more sports-oriented shows coming up here as we get a little bit closer to football season. It's been a little bit of a busy summer. Craig got married. I've been traveling a lot. He's had a lot going on. I've had a lot going on, so we've kind of taken some time off. Uh, but we will be back. Uh, but for now, we kind of wanted to get this out there to get it in front of the people. So thank you, Karsten. Thank you to all the viewers, our listeners, anybody that tuned into this. We will see you guys soon. Um, enjoy the rest of your summer. Peace. <laughs>